and welcome to The Schism. This podcast is all about critical thinking, dot connecting, the nature of reality, and trying to uncover the truth about the world we live in, society, who we are, and where we come from. Hello and welcome to The Schism. I'm joined as always by my co-host Adam. Hello everyone. And in today's episode we are interviewing once again writer and researcher and founder of Newspaste, Johnny Fedmore. Very happy, thank you for having me. Now, The Schism and Newspaste have just recorded a three-part video series that's currently on our Rumble channel, all about the road to the takedown of Jeffrey Epstein, where we take a deep dive into a man called Pottinger, who was the defense to some of Epstein's most prominent victims. We look at his shady past and his links to some of the biggest conspiracy cover-ups over the last 50 years. But today we wanted to talk about Epstein himself and the Epstein saga. So starting with people's general knowledge, like I feel like most people know a little bit about Jeffrey Epstein. They might have watched something like the Netflix documentary, Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich. And there's another Maxwell one, which is basically the same stuff regurgitated. But for, for, for someone that feels like they know everything there is to know from watching them documentaries, what don't they know, would you say, about the Epstein operation that he had going with Maxwell? Right. The, uh, the operation itself is something that I think evolved over time and had been an idea that had probably come to uh, like or a collection of ideas that had come to both uh, Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein separately before they were together. Jeffrey Epstein, before he met Maxwell, which officially I think they recorded as as properly uh, first being together around 1990-1991, around the time that Robert Maxwell uh, gets popped off. So just before he gets popped off, it looks like Robert Maxwell's like found um, a fitting enough heir apparent in uh, Epstein with his big money deals and his fixing ways to be with his daughter. And he, I mean, for, for people who don't know about Robert Maxwell's relationship with his children, it was a really complicated affair. So the reason why Ghislaine Maxwell is the way she is, is obviously due to Robert Maxwell's influence, both in her upbringing and genetically as well. I mean, she's obviously got a lot of Robert Maxwell in her. Robert Maxwell. Oh, very careful, Johnny. <laughs> well, incest. Incest. honestly, yeah, no, I, 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 I wouldn't put anything past that part of the Maxwell clan. When I, I researched Maxwell's family history, um, that was really strange because you go back and you discover that uh, when she was punished, she decided which kinky whip was going to be come down from the wall to be used to spank her with. So there was a there was a, a very as much sexual nature around it. There's actually a, um, a a young girl who used to hang around when she was about 15, 16, 17, 18 and, and older um, who used to hang around with the Maxwell's her name escapes me right now but she was a very interesting girl she was her father was actually the i think he was the editor of the times newspaper the telegraph and they lived nearby maxwell while he was the head of the mirror so they they had things in common and her her conversations about robert maxwell was basically that she was in love with him this other young girl and basically paints a picture of galen maxwell as being very 
kinky and all of the Maxwell family is being very kinky and uses innuendos throughout it all. So I think there was a potential that there was abuse already within the family. And it was an event that happened in the Maxwell family that shook it. I can't remember what the date is on this. I would think it's the late 70s. I think it's probably about 77, 78. But I can't remember the date. And I think it was in Monte Carlo that the car traversed off the road. And uh, Michael Maxwell, I think his name was Michael Maxwell, was killed. Uh, and he was the young, he was the one who was most likely, I think, in Robert Maxwell's eyes of being at the air. And Ghislaine Maxwell was really young when this happened and it devastated the family. In fact, Ghislaine Maxwell's mother said that she had, um, she, she didn't actually pick up or hold Ghislaine Maxwell when she was a toddler because of, uh, and, and Ghislaine Maxwell didn't get held. And that one day, and this is a quote from her mother, one day Ghislaine Maxwell turned around and said to her, mother, you do love me, don't you? Please love me, please hold me, or something along those lines. You know, was desperate. That actually reminds me of uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, yeah. I watched oh, that yeah. Netflix show recently that's pretty true to the uh, actual story because I've also looked into that. I'm not a massive Dharma fan, but, you know. But, yeah, his his mother famously didn't hold him. She was, like, addicted to, like, all kinds of medications and she just yeah, like, didn't yeah. want to even be close to her baby. It's like, that's going to mess someone up. I'm that not is very similar. Jelaine yeah. is a cannibal. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying she makes thrones out of skulls. <laughs> she but, might do. Or she <laughs> likes gay porn, even. I'm not accusing her of anything but like that. When you go around a house, there is a lot of, uh, of thrones made of skulls. So there are suggestions, possibly. No, no. Well, I, I mean, do love uh, these paintings that Jeffrey Epstein had mm-hmm. with yeah. the... Uh, uh, the Bill Clinton in the uh, Monica Lewinsky dress, is it? In the red high heels. And then the George Bush painting that uh, of the sort of twin towers made out of Jenga and he's flying paper planes into them. What do you make of this stuff? I, I know it's well, a bit, bit of a strange so, veer off, but as, as we're talking about the subject... Some of it is, uh, you could say, it's a strange veer off, and you could say that maybe you've used the term veer off because you're thinking about the car going off the cliff in Monte Carlo still, veering uh, off the cliff and crashing, and leading to this this uh, series of events that that basically disconnected Ghislaine Maxwell from humanity, it seems. And later on, uh, when when they're together and all of these paintings up on the wall, all these things are happening in all of their various houses. I think by that point, what you're seeing is two emotionally detached humans who can only connect with other humans on a a weird emotional basis that usually is through a form of um, practicing, a form of narcissism, uh, projecting power onto uh, much more innocent people, of course. And that power is usually sexual power when it comes to people like Maxwell and Epstein who target young younger girls and i think a lot of the the stuff that you saw around that i I think a lot of that were running jokes themes you know rich people can you imagine what their jokes are so they're having a conversation about bill clinton in a dress one time and then the next Mm. day so uh, they've got a painter to to paint it and send it round to your house you know and then you open up and you're like well why wouldn't i put that up on the wall and bill will love it because bill's got a sense of humor everybody thinks bill clinton doesn't have a sense of humor and bill clinton 
sentence laughing at people at the same time so i mean the, 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 that that idea would 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 uh, be instant should be instantly be diminished by the fact that bill clinton is always laughing at everybody all of the time mm. he has got a sense of humor it's dark like a, a, a lot of these guys have a, you know dark humor because they're narcissists to rise to the top of this very shitty sewer that they uh, rule and they run to get to the top of there you have to be some of the most narcissistic and nastiest yeah. self-centered people so when you get up there what's your humor what is your humor yeah. going to be like it's a type of gloating i feel like they're sort of saying haha look we can put these things in plain sight i know your secrets and you know yeah, mine, mine but you know we put it up in forms of you know high art or something so they can think think of themselves as being so clever there's a there's a level of hubris attached to all of this as well hubris with a capital h-u-b-r-i-s they really like really think they're the most important people and they they know like when we're talking about what we do in life yeah when we're talking about going off the tracks or doing something naughty with a friend people who have a relatively low amount of money like us and we don't have the options in life we think about the laws and we see them as basically rigid things that we can't bend without risking going to prison. And these guys see the majority of the laws that we see as risky if we bend as being irrelevant to them because they've got so much money to be able to get out of the consequences of breaking such a law. So mm. the law now becomes irrelevant. Now, if you could then um, stifle any investigation with the use of the most expensive lawyers in the country it doesn't matter how much um you spend to stifle this information you you'll continue to make money as long as you're stifling any type of investigation into what what you're doing and then you know a lot of these guys are just like i say a lot of these guys but i'm talking about high level fixers like maxwell and epstein who use sex as a tool who use power as a tool who use gun running as a tool who use realty as a tool who use science as a tool do you know it's a theme that's running through this anything they can hold they will use as a tool to gain more power because they're narcissists whatever they see it's not just the sex it's not just that one mm. thing whatever they see they will see how they can use it to get the most out of it and to be, become more powerful than they are currently. And they succeeded to do that. They succeeded. So th what they are are just bubbles rising to the top of a very shitty sewer. A lovely course. metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Extremely, <laughs> extremely like confident narcissists can turn the world in the opposite direction if they want to. It's human nature. It's really interesting, intriguing how amazing humans can be, even when it's aimed at achieving the worst. We're talking about the sort of depths of the depravity. Like, what do you envision happened on the Lolita Express or on that island? Because we all know that, yes, young girls got taken advantage of. And what we're presented with, say, the mainstream media is like, oh, Prince Andrew was with this young girl and she might have been but, but that's about 16 all, or that's something. That's about all we have, Johnny. Yeah. Like, we don't have the, the clientele, uh, like we, me and Reese were saying earlier, we don't have the uh, flight log of all the people that visited that island. Yeah, or like at least like even if that seems like it's out there, whether that's in a phony way or not, that hasn't been investigated. That seems like it's just yeah. yeah. I was stopped. just talking, and then in terms of the island, it's like what really went on there. We don't know. 
What do you mm-hmm. think? About how how low down and dirty does Where it did really you, get? When your investigation what, hit you? Right. Well, that's. I mean, there's a difference between what I, what I think happened and where the investigation uh, led me for for sure. Because well, I give us both that, then. Yeah, I well, I I definitely will. I was talking about this just now in um, a, a a guy who's a podcaster called Lawrence Eastman and came down to to meet me today, um, and we were talking about the client list. And he was asking, oh, you know, do you think the client... And it's the usual question you get, because at the hmm. moment, it's a it's a fad trend question. You know, is there a way of knowing everything everybody's done in one very quick way and having a list, please? Can you just provide us with that? That's really like a projection of what people want with any controversy or any scam. Like, can't we line them all up in yeah. front of a row of children and see which ones lean forward like Biden and just... <laughs> Well, kind of like that, but I was thinking much more like, in actual fact, the majority of people want to touch themselves while looking at the names of very rich people who have bent the laws in horrible, despicable ways. And they want to rub their nipples and think about how terrible those people are while they themselves are probably, you know, equivalent in some way, uh, shape or form. Because They want to rub their nipples and think of Tom Hanks. They want to, yeah, and they want to make them. They want to make them to be the worst character in their head that they, they can possibly be. When the truth is much more nuanced, and it is true. Listen, if you hang around with people like Epstein, you're probably not doing nice things. And some of those people did really bad things. But not everybody who meets a billionaire instantly goes, "Oh, hi, how are you? Oh, this is a lovely island. Thank you. Oh, we we can have sex with children. Can we? Okay, where's a child? Thank you. Oh, you're recording me. Okay, let's go on. You know that that sort of like." <laughs> comical version of what happened at jeffrey epstein's islands is beyond the 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 majority of people slept with girls who were over the age of 18 jeffrey epstein slept with girls who were between the ages of uh 13 and uh 17 18 normally 20 21 you would be chastised for bringing him a girl of that age home. yeah you old slapper <laughs> get yeah, out yeah. Of here. <laughs> what are you doing look your tits are almost a, a tiny millimeter lower than they were a couple of years ago i, I mean they're, formed. they're fucking formed now <laughs> i can see them i can see them can you bind them at least oh my god what's wrong with you people <laughs> anyway let's stop our southeastern uh england version of jeffrey <laughs> no but like there. yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey's cousin no one talks about he's <laughs> he's running a muck up north no yeah, um yeah. what uh, right so okay back to the island right because the island's got a pretty menacing looking temple on it okay it's, it's yeah. got these blue and white stripes going up here this golden temple looking thing on the top it's pretty weird it looks without being racist Jewish I thought it looked like a Greek restaurant. Well, <laughs> so you do be like a Greek restaurant. Right. But then oh, also... Okay. It, wait a minute, I, wait a minute. Isn't it more racist to say that a Jewish-looking temple looks like a Greek restaurant? So in a sense, Adam is being more racist than you, isn't that? I was just putting <laughs> that out there as like a disclaimer before we really went into it. Yeah, go on, anyway. You can't describe this temple without treading on some toes, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. it, it also looks like the kind of place that you might perform rituals at okay and it's tiny but it's on the head of a massive hill 
And you're like, you go into that and that's an elevator that goes down somewhere and then you're in the film bloody yeah, hostel. It don't get okay? built for no reason, does it? Yeah, it it's not good built for, for no reason. And then also, I've seen a lot of stuff, and this is like scrolling through social media shit. But bear <laughs> with me, right? People are comparing it I to bet, the Disney, to the Disney castle that's got the oh. blue and white stripe, right? And then they're saying, "Hey, look also at the set of Ellen. We all know Ellen, degenerate, as I like to call her." <laughs> Whoa. And the Ellen show, it looks like the bloody temple on Epstein's Island. Look it up. It's weird. Now. Mm, that's quite true. Take a breath. The point okay. I'm leading to is, what do you think? <laughs> like, what the fuck is that temple? And what's going on there? And is there a lift that goes down to a dirty hostel basement where they're performing all kinds of unspeakable acts on small children? Okay, so th- first of all, I could probably tell you more than most can tell you about Epstein's um, island uh, that that no one else has really looked into because I was like, "What the fuck is going on with this fucking island? And why why is this happening? And why is no one asking these questions? And these simple questions, like, really, that is so suspicious. You got a temple up on the hill, and you're like child trafficking, and all of these different things. And yeah. of course, these people. What's the temple for, Jeffrey? Oh, just a little pray. Why yeah, would you seem like a... the religious type? Like, or maybe you if, do. Even if you said it was a summer house, yeah, you'd have to go quite far to get to the summer house from the main house. So none of it makes any sense. It's really out of the way. It just does not make any sense. It's there for so. Okay, there's there's a couple. And it's of on the top of a hill. Yeah, first so, of all, so though, if, if it could go underground, it could be like Dr. Evil's bloody lair. Yeah. So, okay. Da, this da, da, da. <laughs> Think about <laughs> some of it. Maybe you could say that if you wanted to give a reason why it existed, that it was there because it, it, there was a bigger plan to build a bigger property on the island. And that was the starting point of it because maybe it'd be the most complex things to build because it's on top of a hill next to the edge of a cliff. You know, I'm, I'm fishing for luckies here. I'm pulling at straws and saying, maybe that's why you would do it. But one of the things that I discovered when investigating the island, there was a guy, oh God, I can't remember what his his name is. Um, Rod, uh, he 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 had um he had a name that was uh Rod Somethington. Um, Rod Stewart? No, he, he it was a name like it was like he was named from one of the characters from um from uh not Beavis and Butthead. What's that? That one <laughs> that that Beavis and Butthead. The same. Epstein and Jelaine. <laughs> that yeah, yeah you. <laughs> Beavis and Butchin. I know it's quite got there before, but yeah, when they grew up, Beavis and Butchin became Ghislaine and Epstein, of course. No, Beavis and Butchin, because he's no, he's but Mike Judge, isn't he? Mike Judge, what's the other, what's the other one that he, the other cartoon that he did with the family? Mike Judge, and he's got a King of the Hill. Yeah, King of the Hill. How did we get onto King of the Hill? Oh yeah, there's a character in King of the Hill. I can't remember if it's this guy. But there's a character. I think he's in King of the Hill, and this guy goes by the same name. And he was. You can find him by saying drone footage over Epstein's Island, because when the okay. police were, the FBI was going after his death. They, the FBI were like 
Oh, we're getting onto this island straight away. Ha ha. See if you can stop us now, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> and so they knew their time would come eventually. And they're going to have to be, I mean, you're going to have to send in the best to be cleanup crew to, to make sure that everything's sealed down. So cover-up crew is definitely FBI, like first port of call. So the FBI go over there and this guy starts uh, flying a drone over the island. Mm. And uh, he got amazing pictures over that period of like FBI agents standing outside like, wow. like buildings, looking at each other like, what are we going to do? I don't know. No, I'm here. I'm <laughs> fucking scared, mate. Um, but what I noticed was there was a lot of circular patterns in the earth, okay. loads of them concentric circles as well so circles within circles within circles within circles within circles all over the place uh on some of the later footage that was taken and that is how ground penetrating radar searches for tunnels and searches for buried you do concentric circles work your way out and then you're able to because if you do straight lines you're not going to build up the pattern you you do it by doing concentric circles yeah yeah And, and and so and so i think they were searching for underground tunnels and other information and i wonder if the fbi like if there was if there was information to be found you know and they were they they did find some information there it would be all very good but the fbi would hide it straight away but if there was no information to be found there i wonder if the fbi would desperate like in a way that we are to see a client list and to see the the wrapping up of their case made very e- or the wrapping up of their their current cover up oh. being extremely easy and whatever happened as soon as they landed on there you're not going to find out like what is happening on there that's it the the crew is in so it's yeah. done the anything now that comes from there well you've got to have some sort of evidence and it's going to be hard to have any sort of evidence personally and this is personally i think that there were tunnels underneath um being dug underneath there and there were plans and i don't think any of the plans have got to the point he had bitten off a lot from 1991 to three and four he had started like a really grand project that was based across a couple of continents or or a couple of countries um at least and it was it was it was really complex so he was based in new york doing financial stuff still keeping his foot in a toe in um in the water there uh in the banking community investment community he was down in palm beach uh in his house of horrors doing his stuff there off on his island he'd be off and off uh, on trips elsewhere um so he was constantly running around the shop doing stuff and he had just bitten off too much i think personally and he was a workhorse. He just did not stop working. He would probably sleep. He's a type I think would probably sleep for about five hours a night, and would would like wake up working and go to sleep working. You know, I think I'm I I could be in that mindset now. I could do that now. But I think he did that all throughout his life, and that's why he was so successful as well. Because he didn't have one job or two jobs or three jobs. He wasn't just creating an island with tunnels under. He had bitten off loads, and he would but he was going towards a direction where even though he had bitten off loads, it was all becoming manageable. And he was very successful at managing things. He was like the big boss 
by this mm. point he'd had so much experience in so many different areas i mean a lot of people think that he's just like i can't even imagine what the idea of what people think epstein is i think the majority of people think he was putting young children onto a plane flying them himself over to africa and getting them off and selling them to yeah. rich men who would fly him elsewhere in the world something like that you know they That's probably what... view him as like they 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 probably view him as more like a edgy hugh hefner <laughs> <laughs> I'd say there's zero Hugh Hefner about him. He's like a politician who doesn't have to worry about an electorate. You know, he's like someone who is sure of his power, is in power, but doesn't have to worry about anybody keeping an eye on his power because mm, yeah. he created his own dynamics. There's no one else who does work like him. So all of the people who need the work like he does done can only go to a handful of people. So he's got a corner marked off and he's still he's gonna he's going to keep getting he would keep getting more professional as he goes every part he's a very very he was a very clever very adaptive human being who was able to um see the issues that no one else could see sort them out in advance but he had a penchant for very uh, girls in a very certain age group. And so he spent nearly every day either molesting or raping young girls. And th that would become the focus of everyone's attention. And I can understand why it's pretty sinister in it it's pretty serious if you're spending if you're 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 molesting or abusing two to three times a day whether it's the same uh girl who comes week after week for a few months or whatever once they grew up past a certain age or they, he'd seen them too much they were gone and a new one would be there so he was i mean he was ruining lives on a daily basis all of the time mm. and that it's no wonder people note it, but what he was doing elsewhere, the way he was, he was one of the smoothest operators around. He knew how to make everybody his friend and he was slick, real slick. I mean, super slick. We're all wondering, I mean, Who's lightning? Who, who is going to play him? Eventually, who's going to be the person who plays Jeffrey mm. Epstein? In the Let's movie? ponder for a second. I don't know, who? No, I'm like thinking, like who? Who would genuinely play him? We've lost Heath Ledger. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's you've got to have actor. like a. You've got to have quite a long face. You I know? think they'd have to get this prosthetics out. To be fair, <laughs> yeah, what, <laughs> to create again? that kind of face. Who's the guy yeah. that plays Marv in Sin City? Or they could just get. Jeffrey Epstein, because we all know he's not dead. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no, no, no. But what do you think of that as like a theory? I mean, I, I personally think he is. Dead. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like when, when I, you know, I said I, I remember, I remember Jason Bermas. I went on Jason Bermas's show shortly after uh, Epstein was killed, and I said, "Well, we can be ninety nine percent certain." that Epstein uh, is dead. And he was like, no, no, stop, stop, stop. We're 100% certain. And then later on, he was like, well, may maybe a little, you know, a couple of months later, maybe maybe there is a little chance that he might still be alive. And, you know, I think everybody gets to that point. They get to the point where the case gets so ridiculous mm. that you go, oh, God, it, well, it could be that they have this colony of, like, people like Epstein running free in the fields. Or just on another island. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, speaking yeah. of islands, like another sort of ridiculous conversation we were having earlier, but it's about Richard Branson, because I know he has islands near Epstein. And this mm. is a guy that's got the same sort of image as like the sort of yeah. people talking about. Like, yeah, high flyer, Hugh Hefner. He's got the girls. He's a billionaire. But he's also got a company, let's not forget, called Virgin. The logo looks like it's written in blood. Like blood. <laughs> not saying it's menstrual blood, but, you know, you, I, I've sort of wondered to myself, like, is he another Epstein? Do you know what I mean? Like, well, he's wanting to go to the moon. He's wanting to go to the centre of the earth. I mean, Brent's- he's another one of these. He's another one of these, like, megalomaniacs that's like, I want to go in space. Look at this video of me floating around. It's like, no one fucking cares, Richard. He missed a trick, because you know what? <laughs> if he wanted to go to the bottom of the ocean... Someone should tell him that sub's already left, mate. <laughs> Yo. Oh. Too soon? Too soon? No, 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 no. Not soon enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you needed to be sooner, and then that would have been good. Um, <laughs> what was the question again? Guy had so Ooh, many Richard Branson. I mean, oh, yeah, Richard Branson. No, no, he kind of reminds me of like Cliff Richard in a sense, like Rolf got done, Jimmy Savile got done. But Cliff yeah, Richard yeah, just yeah. got a big I, question well, mark, it, but everyone it, sort of knows. It must have been a 2019, 2020, where I was like, it does not make any sense why no one's asking about Richard Branson, especially Branson's not only, I mean, it's not only one thing that's dodgy. You've got loads of different things that are dodgy. So one of the things that I would say would be an alarm ringing off is that he was first year young global leader alongside Bill Gates, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, uh, loads of others um, who were just like Merkel, Sarkozy, Orban. Mm. Like the first year was killer team, A-team. They got the A-team out for the first year, the young global leaders. Well, I'd say Richard Branson was obviously like always in a place where he seemed to be free of any suspicion at all times. And that was so suspicious to me. And I went and looked into him at one point and I remember thinking, there's just nothing there. You can't find anything. It's like Epstein, it made me think that the one of the things that Epstein, uh, he didn't mind people taking photos here and there, and he obviously limited it, I think. Didn't want people taking him all the time, but he still allowed it. So we got to see flashes inside his world, mm. which allow us to imagine what he's doing. With Branson, we don't see any of those flashes. We only see oh. what we're allowed to see. So what's that say? Is it more suspicious or less suspicious? Now, the difference between them is beforehand, Jeffrey Epstein is running arms, funding stuff like that in the early days, doing stuff that's obviously intelligence linked. Branson is much more open in his business techniques. And yeah, some of it is... a. Uh, uh, is questionable. I once worked for Virgin Megastore back in the day, but that was, I think it was just at the end. We we went into administration about a year after I started working there and I, Branson, I think, had already sold out of the company. I think, mm. you know, it, the, the thing is, is what what's interesting about Branson is almost everything he did lost money, yet he kept accumulating money. Mm. Now that didn't Always make suspicious. any sense. So that that says Once you have Elon Musk. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole load of separate contracts going on elsewhere. And that's like Elon Musk, you know, a lot yeah. of the he gets like tax free stuff all over the place because of his special deals with uh the Department of Defense and, and the space stuff. I think I think that uh, you know, I if you want to hear it, I think that people get like little girls died and shit, man. I think that they, they, there's no way that the this 
disaster zone happened and Epstein and Maxwell's network was as it was and there was no one dead at the end of it. Mm. It was a gangster intelligence network of the highest order. Who dies in that situation? Well, collateral. Would you want to record that? No. But would you want so would would you want to have influence over someone by saying I can get you something no one else can get you and get rid of it so it never bothers you again? Is that even worth even much more than blackmail would be where you make loads of enemies and soon you're dead? Because I think that's why Epstein survived for so long mm. is because he didn't go around blackmailing people. He went around influencing people by giving them stuff and treating them like the best friend around would treat them he wasn't going around fondling a 14 year old and masturbating in public he was like most people probably wouldn't have seen all of that or most of that they would have known they would have sensed he's a really rich guy rich guys get what they want rich guys have sex drives what does that mean do the math Anybody want to do the math? The, the, the math is simple. If you're rich and you're, you want women, you buy yourself women. Someone like uh, Epstein, who's emotionless, who doesn't have that sort of attachment, isn't likely to form a relationship in the same way. They, they're going to buy their stuff. So what does that mean? Well, you're willing to purchase a human and not see them as a human, as it worth something. What does that mean? Well, what's the difference between doing that and getting rid of that? You know, so I think that there was much worse going on. When I think with Branson and stuff, I, one day we'll learn more about Branson. And I think there'll be things that'll come out that people go, oh, that's disgusting. But not... Not everybody, not all of these guys are sacrificing children, having yeah. sex with, with young girls, you know. Not all of these guys are doing that. The majority who are watching this sick, the, this, the most depraved and sickest, want also to believe that is so, because then that backs up their worldview too. But the the reality is the majority of people who are in this circle probably have relationships with women about the same age or younger yeah but over the age of 18 most of them are, mm. are doing are doing dirty deals out the back they could get them in trouble if they were anyone else but will probably get away with it because they're rich exactly, yeah. they all they all get these different bonuses they're all part someone said this it's all part of a a party boat this is what you got to think about with Epstein and others. You all get on. You all get on and you party. As soon as you're on, you know you're never allowed to get off. That's as simple as it is. But it's a party boat. If you liked pate, why would you not be on the pate boat? There's just no point in being anywhere else. So if you're someone who doesn't have that moral and ethical kick, if you're not like us, because this is what separates them, is that they can get up there money-wise and get loads of money off people because they can do devious stuff that other people like us won't be willing to do to get mm. there. And that is um, manifest and is expressed in every other part of their life. And if we were corrupt and lacking in morals and ethics and we would also be able to do that too and get to that level but we're we're not 
with yeah and, and have have the drive to do it as well because it's quite a psychopathic drive yeah. to think i want to reach the top and i want to have control over people and have all this money and wealth and do it. like they're they're power phrase they're not thinking straight. yeah and you gotta argue once you're on the party boat and if you fucking love the party why get off even if they told you you can't get off would you care yeah 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 and i'm and having fun here and if you go off the boat, if you get off the boat, you're good as dead. Mm-hmm. So so there's just no point in worrying. And what you see about the people who were on this party boat, when you see them sitting with Epstein and when you see them interacting with him, what you see is these people who are really happy on their plantation, as, as my mum would have said back in the day. You know, they were in a negative situation, yet they were enjoying it. That's what that means. You know, they were in a place where they're like, I don't want to change this because I'm getting benefits and bonuses. And what's the other opportunity or, or, or what are the other options? I have to think about something and do something and put in work and do all of these things. Fuck that. I'll stay on the party boat. And and yeah, OK, I've seen this guy do a couple of things where I'm like, how young is she though? Well, she's probably about 16, 17. Well, that's legal in Britain. You know, it, it, that sort of like mindset kind of like like mm, just a downward around. slope. Yeah. Yeah, but they're, they're all on the party boat and and they know now if someone wants to find out information about them with someone else who was on the party boat, like these other people. So people who are now running and covering people who would be potentially on whatever client list that someone could create all of these people, they want to hide and run now in a sense that they're probably still looking for the next opportunity, next big buck, next way to get around. We're all living our best life we can, you know, and and that's like, get if you're a narcissist, that means getting as much money and attention and philosophy up your ego as much as possible if it's us it means doing whatever we do but it's like humans do what humans do and these guys a lot of them it's not completely unheard of it's like very common practice i'm not saying there's even a difference between the elite and people in uh, because there's loads of rape there's loads of murder there's loads of all of this stuff it happens on every single level but we get to focus in on them and see what it's like when it's unrestricted when they've got that type of wealth and that's what's really interesting to us Mm, yeah, like we, we we like spoke to Kathy O'Brien, that was uh, MK Ultra survivor, and she was telling us about the uh, the most dangerous game it was called, which was effectively you know royalty in uh, the upper echelons of human hunting society. Yeah, they were hunting humans at that level. I think we said earlier it's almost like Squid Game, where then where they're not seeing people as humans, and it's and it's all just like. Well, it's yeah, like sick, depraved game to it's them. It's what their so. powers afforded them. Well, really? moving on, moving on to Pottinger, because that's what our three-part series is about. Obviously, the whole series is about a side of the Epstein case that most people are not aware of whatsoever, and that is a man called Stanley J. Pottinger, who is the uh, Jay Stanley Pottinger. Jay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's confusing it, because no it is, people yeah, don't yeah, yeah. normally put the initial at the beginning, it, but Jay yes. Stanley Pottinger does. He was a defense to some of the <laughs> most prominent victims of Epstein. And you've done a deep dive into this guy 
and shown that he has been involved in every major cover-up over the last 50 years. But where do we start with that story? Should we start with like how you actually stumbled across this character in the first place? What led me to this sent me down a road and it, it led to Stanley Pottinger. I thought it led to his son at first, Matthew Pottinger, but it led to Stanley Pottinger, J. Stanley Pottinger, John Stanley Pottinger, whose father, John Pottinger, was an insurance man in Dayton, Ohio. And I will stream through this now. I think I probably uh, kind of got all of the details hooked in after doing a fair few podcasts about it and talking about it. So uh, John Pottinger Sr., the insurance man, was um, a Dayton, Ohio city commissioner. He was Scottish, right, which means he was 32nd or 33 degree Mason. He was Bohemian Grover. He had all of, you know, he had all of the positions and all of the, the, the famous stuff. And he died quite young. He died at the age of 48 or 49. I can't quite remember which, in 1958, just as his son John Stanley Pottinger was heading off to Harvard. And John Stanley Pottinger and John Pottinger Sr. had been extremely close. You know, they had obviously been close. There was another brother as well, David Forbes Pottinger. He was an interesting character. Uh, four years after the death of their father and when um, John Stanley Pottinger had been in Harvard uh, for four years and had, had already studied government, was going on to law, David Forbes Pottinger went missing one night. He had followed in his father's footstep, who was fourth Dayton City Commissioner to die in office uh, very interestingly and he had followed in the footsteps but his one of his footsteps was was missing because his shoe was found and a shirt was found and there's some beers that had been drunk had been found after a city commissioner meeting and everybody feared the worst uh that uh, David Ford Pottinger had been um had been kidnapped well in actual fact he had faked his disappearance because he had run off and trafficked uh, an underage his underage babysitter sherry vanderville across state lines to have sex with her for 44 days on a boat before selling the boat coming back and pretending he had amnesia um, and being found in a ditch and later on Sher sherry vanderville turns up and says no no, that didn't happen. Actually, we've been having sex on his boat. And um and so it was I do love on. this story of him claiming that he had selective amnesia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He remembered the guys who had given him the amnesia. So he remembered the narrative, which is always <laughs> suspicious when you're dealing with amnesia, if they always <laughs> remember the narrative that leads up. So he remembered that three men had uh, jumped him when he had decided randomly to take up the police and FBI's job to invest some form of illegal gambling racket that was going on in Dayton, Ohio. And three men had jumped him for the, the money and hit him over the head. And then he woke up in a ditch in Tennessee uh, over a month later. Well, that that was... Um, he, he remembered that anything. perfectly. Yeah, but that... I, I swear, they, David Forbes Posiger had watched the film Memento. He was basically <laughs> trying in to... In 1962, uh, I know. He was I, just... I was about to say, that's what the film Memento is based on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the other I way around. I have to say as well, just just to uh, um, a note that I, I've I've never said before is actually David Forbes Pottinger, I believe, has written books and made some big claims since. But I, he did it didn't. It was going to get confusing if I put it into the article because it's an article in itself. Because David Forbes Pottinger is off his tits. Well, anyway, he gets caught. 
he gets rumbled. I mean, one of the interesting things about David Forbes Pottinger is when he's trafficked this girl across state lines for sex, when the girl's friends start to say to the press and the police, no, she's been meeting David Forbes Pottinger in this restaurant near the nearby Crystal and Silver Lakes region for, for months and months. And, you know, they've been having a flourishing relationship, even though that there was lots of girls who started to say that John Stanley Pottinger stood on his steps of his house and called them all liars. So, I mean, that is something that, of course, victims who uh, uh, were affected by um, Jeffrey Epstein also and other victims of uh, crimes get, you know, the other side doing that. But still, that's what you do when you're defending your brother. But Stanley Pottinger, by this point, had already gone through his time in government and was already studying law. So he had first tried to help his brother. But once his brother got seen as being guilty, went out of the limelight really quickly and then he went on to government this is really interesting so let's run through some of this now he um he, once he uh leaves harvard law he's about 1964 1965 and then he um sets up with broad and schultz a law firm that he tries one case in in 1968 it's 1967 he's um uh working for the republican party so he's helping with election stuff. And of course, Nixon gets elected. Um, and it, the, the Nixon administration is is heavy, got Kissinger in and all that, that all that jive, all those guys. And Stanley Pottinger makes his way in first as an advisor in 1969. Then he becomes part of the um health, education, and welfare department as director of civil rights in um 1970, dealing with segregation in schools up until 1973, where he goes to the Justice Department as assistant attorney general for civil rights and then that's where he shines of course that's where some of the most what you were talking earlier the cover-ups happen so he was involved in official reports that found no conspiracy in the assassination uh, for, of the fbi in the assassination of martin luther king um that uh, martin luther king jr which dr martin luther king jr should i say uh which is really important because now we know from two separate cases that that there was a lot of evidence that within yeah. the ev the, the eight thousand documents which Stan Pottinger studied, there was much evidence yeah. to point at that. And like ironically, that. like you said, he was like all about civil rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He covered up the assassination of Martin Luther. Of the leader, He's a bit of a hypocrite. Of, yeah, the leader <laughs> of the civil rights movement. Later yeah. in 1987, becoming part of like the civil rights charity thing that that fronts up the face of Martin Luther King is as you know, and it's just disgusting. Anyway, and also Kent State Massacre. He was involved in finding no conspiracy at Kent State Massacre, where a load of students got shot by National Guardsmen. Uh they they many people heard order to fire later on a came up where people said you can hear order to fire um and that went for a, a court later on in about 2000 or somewhere around then and of course he finds no conspiracy and of course the most important and interesting is watergate which he helps cover up in multiple ways not only does he write the report on uh, watergate that clearly it clears a load of different people and leads to just two people being properly prosecuted who both get pardoned under reagan uh later on so so he's he, he doesn't only involved in writing the report stays on under um Jimmy Carter's administration even though he's a republican to finish writing that report to to sign it off but he also in 1976 is interviewing W Mark Felt who's met the deputy director of the FBI and is meant 
to be deep throat now there's some suggestion nowadays that he wasn't actually the real deep throat and things like that but if we are to believe what the stories tell us he was actually the the informant about watergate which led to the all the the, the movie that people have seen all presence men which led to the washington post um, not uh, the movie deep throat just to, <laughs> yeah, to make that clear <laughs> yeah yeah but, but i mean watch him watch him in whatever order we don't mind <laughs> there's a number one and number two probably <laughs> the number two is might be it's likely going to be a deep throat the movie <laughs> what do you want to swallow lies or no no <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh that had me right anyway so 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 uh he he was interviewing uh mark uh w mark felt about watergate and he said in official hearings and he said are you deep throat and apparently mark felt crapped himself <laughs> he made it very clear that that he was obviously deep throat apparently so there's uh bob woodward i think was book secret man uh in 2005 revealed and pottinger realized that meant he was deep throat and said to him hey hey listen um, I'll, I'll retract that last question if it helps because yeah. you know i'll say it's irrelevant to the um point of the investigation which was the watergate break-ins to find members of the weather underground oh god well it, that that's like the most important part of it who was the informant and who knew yeah. all the information who was deputy director who have you got on the stand so he didn't only give write the report on it he covered it up in real time i mean bob woodward says in his book like and to his credit he kept his promise you know that he wouldn't reveal who deep throat oh he to his credit he did exactly what you'd expect someone who works for intelligence to do um and then of course after uh that came and and wounded knee happened a standoff uh between american indians uh reservation and a corrupt um reservation tribal leader called uh, i think his name was richard wilson anyway that led to all of the protesters being harassed by uh, the justice department for two years um while Partinger was there and court cases going through that none of them ended up in victory for, for the Justice Department. They would just harass people and cause them big troubles um, to stop them protesting. Also in 1976 the assassination of Orlando Letelier happened um, on Embassy Row in Washington where his car was blown up by car bomb outside the Chilean Embassy. He had been the foreign minister under Allende um, in Chile before the CIA couped the country and installed Pinochet and of course he was uh, murdered in operation under Operation Condor which was a, a joint operation by various South American intelligence agencies including the Chilean DINA um, and it was basically they would use different groups for different uh, nationalities uh, within one group to commit the sanctions up to assassination, so sanctions being the punishments, um, so that it was hard for whatever country the target was in to blame one country for doing it. Oh, it was Chile or oh, it was Argentina instead. It was all of them. It was Operation Condor and it made it murky. Well, they killed Orlando Letelier in Washington, D.C., and the Americans were trying their hardest not to do anything about it because they had been, and the CIA had been responsible 
trouble for Pinochet getting in and then Pinochet was this bold. And yes, he was. But the director of the CIA then, George H.W. Bush, saw an opportunity and so did J. Stanley Pottinger. They went with Eugene Proper, who had been put in charge of the investigation into the assassination of Orlando Letelier, and they co-opted him straight away. Uh, he was baffled by what um, John Dingus had written in Assassination on Embassy Row. He just seemed baffled by the whole affair. Words all over the place he didn't understand. And so Pottinger took him to see George H.W. Bush at the CIA. And George H.W. Bush said, well, if you give the CIA rights to use domestic surveillance on American citizens, I'm sure we'll be able to find a solution to our problems. And so Pottinger went straight off to the Justice Department and signed off on legal um, surveillance of U.S. citizens domestically, which goes massively against the Constitution. Um, and then afterwards, he leaves office after he's covered up Watergate and that he's had them finished, signed it off, stampy-wampy. The old stampy-wampy becomes <clears throat> basically a, a compliance officer checking into uh, compliance for Chemical Bank. And Chemical Bank is uh, having to update its procedures and, or potentially get fines because a Banking Secrecy Act came in in 1970, hadn't been really put into action until 1978. And suddenly they were all running to try and put it like put their houses in order before they get massive fines and these compliance officers came in find all the dirty laundry and cleans it before the officials come in to clean it and that's what Stan Pottinger did for Chemical Bank. Then he had defended Mead Corporation against um, Occidental Petroleum which was uh, Dr. Armand Hammer's com massive company. Dr. Armand Hammer was a blackmailer, spy gamer he was a real like linked character uh, yet um, Pottinger basically fought a successful campaign against the takeover and kept Mead as its own forest products company, whatever that means. Um, and then in 1980, he would defend Gerald V. Bull, who was the head of Space Research Corporation. And Gerald V. Bull uh, was basically smuggling arms, had uh, been smuggling arms for the CIA um, into South Africa and to be used to fight Angolan communists next door on behalf of the CIA. Uh, eventually, 10 years later, Gerald V. Bull would be killed by the Mossad. But he would be at a trial and Stanley Pottinger would defend him in 1980. And that same year, Stanley Pottinger would then be arranging illegal arms smuggling to Iran um, alongside uh, Cyrus Hashemi, who was his business partner. He had $100,000 invested in Hashemi's bank, uh, but he was also his, his counsel. And Cyrus Hashemi was also in league with Adnan Khashoggi, the famous Adnan Khashoggi, uh, who was also involved in arms. Um, uh, Iran-Contra, Iran and they were uh, um, Adnan Khashoggi was being funded by three or four people, including Jeffrey Epstein, who was helping with running arms in Iran-Contra, so they were all together. Now, during this period, later on, as we all learn, Stanley Pottinger is saying, oh, I once worked with Jeffrey Epstein in an investment bank during the early 80s, and uh, that we only shared a desk together, um, and it lasted just a couple of weeks. Well, this just happens to be when and they're both running arms and organizing illegal arms running in Iran. Oh, well, just to just to stall on that point for a second, because that's quite an outrageous realization for a lot of people. Like, so the guy that is the defense for the Epstein victims 
it's now out there that he actually not only knew Epstein, but shared an office with him. I mean, I do think that in just itself is outrageous, let alone the history of Ostinger that you've just gone into and all the yeah. cover-ups that he's been a part of. This guy knew Epstein and personally. So they, they were possibly out in Iran shooting AKs next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's yours, Jeff. <laughs> but there's it. a conflict of interest there, is what we're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, most definitely there's a conflict of interest, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, simplistically, that is the way a lot of people hear that, I suppose, is that bang, bang, they're AK-47s, <laughs> uh, like one-handed across the uh, Iranian deserts. like Filming a rap video. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> bang, bang, I'm potting a yo, and, uh, and and they're loving it. But but the reality is, is uh, there's a multifaceted arms operation where they're shipping arms through, I think, Netherlands Artillery uh, and Tilly's um, corporation down into somewhere like Spain or somewhere and then someone else takes over from the operations in there etc so there's a multi-stage process in shipping arms you buy the arms you put the get the, someone to ship the arms it has to go through a different corporation which has to be set up all of these different things well it, not only were the they involved in that and not only were, did he admit sharing an office with them as we'll learn later they were also neighbors but um going back to pottinger making the most of things which he can or he loves to make the most of things um he was he, in that same year he's running arms but he's also arranging central to arranging the october surprise which is an amazing event basically in october um in elections year in america things can be swung by big events or major events that happened and that can basically it's what that is a moment when people are really truly making their decision for who they will elect by the end of the year and um that year the iranian hostage crisis were going on and why they ended up being able to sell arms through uh, or smuggle arms to iran and set up that sort of uh enterprise was because they already had their foot in the door and they had their foot in the door because pottinger and cyrus hashemi were very wily they understood that the um hostage situation that started in 1979 was something that could make them a lot of money so by december 1979 Pottinger is helping uh, or, or offering the FBI and CIA and Justice Department, whoever, their help, Cyrus Hashemi's help in contacting Riza Pasandida, who's the nephew of Ayatollah Khomeini, and setting up a back channel with him and potentially General Mandani, uh, who was set to run for president, and Bin Sada as well, who I think Mandani might have been represented. I can't remember quite the details of that. I'd have to reread it. But Bin Sada eventually gives evidence uh, when they met with Pottinger, uh, when he met with Pottinger for these dealings it was clear and made clear that they were dealing with reagan's men they weren't dealing with carter's men carter uh, was trying to get the hostages out and had four channels open three channels one of them was two guys uh lawyers from some place like france another one was swiss guy and another somewhere else and they had three channels but none of them were being successful um that's partially because behind the scenes the iranians were obviously needed to be offered incentives like maybe arms being smuggled into their country by exactly the same people who are looking for a solution to try and help them. I mean, that maybe they're disconnected events. 
Maybe they're disconnected events, but they, the Iranians are needed to be convinced why they should go with the Republicans and hold the hostages, organized to hold the hostages for an extra period of time to make the October surprise happen where people think the hostages are about to be released and then they're held for extra time and that swings the election towards reagan and bush and oh my god did the plan work bam knocked out of the park the boys did it they sent everybody for multiple meetings a uh, selection of meetings over a couple of months between um i think it was about july the the second the first meeting may have been um i can't quite remember but i think it was uh maybe it was through june and july or it was through july and august in in 1980 anyway they had a selection of meetings in madrid and one in barcelona um, and it included people like William Casey, who was then one of the campaign team for a uh, high up campaign. I think he was like campaign manager or director for Reagan and Bush and would later become CIA director. So, so under when, when they got into power, so would get his reward. Robert Keith uh, Gray was also there and some other high level officials. And of course, Pottinger, uh, Jamshid Hashemi, Cyrus Hashemi. My God, they're right in the center of it. And they coup. They do they subvert their own election process, the election process of the United States of America. And a lot of this is discussed and gone into detail in the October Surprise Task Force uh, report that comes out in nineteen well, it comes out in nineteen ninety three, like the turn of nineteen ninety three, but the, the the task force was set up through nineteen ninety two um and uncovered a lot of this. Pottinger was named in the paper with Iran Contra an October surprise related to, to that um, scandal in 1984, between 1984 and 1986, it was known that that he was there, but he, he avoided prosecution. He went off to Mexico as we said in the, the, the parts we recorded. He got his, his sombrero on and his fake Mexican <laughs> moustache, <laughs> sat then with a chihuahua next to him going, hey, I didn't even know Jeffrey Epstein. So he goes like MIA for quite a number of years, right? After this rather impressive Resume. I mean, just to like backtrack over it, we're talking about covering up the assassination of Martin Luther King to the Watergate scandal, to be honest. And this is before we've got anywhere near Epstein, Epstein. other than him running Iran Contra and smuggling guns with the guy and sharing an office. And later, as we get to, they were practically neighbors. It's an unbelievable story from start to finish. You were saying, Actually, when when we're doing the series, it would make a good movie, and I'd I'd kind of have to agree because it's just never ending. Yeah, now we actually completed the Rumble series. It's like something out of a movie or a trilogy, (laughs) like the Bourne series that we named episodes after. I mean, I can see why you come up with that. It really is like the whole Bourne series of of movies. And it slipped in so well because the first one looks at potting a a David Forbes potting a losing his memory, which is what the whole Bourne movie identity, but also the identity of Stanley Pottinger, his father of David Mm -hmm. Forbes Pottinger and, and questioning his identity because you start to see the actual start of who he really is. And then the supremacy is the peak of his career when he leaves government and he's able to act as an intelligence agent agent openly like he or uh, behind the scenes sub- subversively but never quite openly agreeing if he worked for cia or not 
Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And the retirement, of course, it, it comes down to, and I called it the parting ultimatum, but really it's the old, it, it does center around the ultimatum Jeffrey Epstein had in 2005. If he didn't do anything, shit was going to get dire. And that's where all of, that's where Pottinger's involvement eventually comes in. It's like, it takes roughly about nine years from the moment Jeffrey Epstein knows he's in shit for Pottinger to be directly named as involved in the case. So I wouldn't be surprised if we later find out that there was something in between there too. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's not go too, too quick. Let's go back a little bit because after he's helped with the October surprise and he goes into hiding, he's got his little chihuahua. When he's able to come out of hiding, it's only 1987. And then he's rewarded. He becomes like um, a consultant for the Rockefeller Foundation. He uh, is on a board of some breast cancer awareness. He's part of the UN advisory board for multilateral projects, which sounds like an, uh, an intelligence uh, sort yeah. of operation in itself. So he's obviously rewarded with all of these things all of a sudden in 1987. He's told, okay, now you're definitely part of the club. Look at the service you've done. And he goes off to become a best-selling author. He's aiming at having a best-selling author. I mean, we haven't talked about Gloria Stein a minute, but, but she comes up in it and she's very interesting. But she she is just a period of his life and she just shows that he is really heavily linked with the CIA. His, long, his only long-term girlfriend, his longest-term girlfriend was stalwart CIA who went says on a video that's included in the article like oh the cia has never done anything bad for anybody i don't even understand why people don't like them it's like fucking nuts <laughs> but but yeah by 1990 he's uh, 1989 he's buying his new house so he's buying that house that he would register a lot of his build uh, buildings in uh, his, his businesses in and his businesses are registered to 49 twin lakes road in um south salem new york uh and of course that that means i can actually mention it out loud which is quite good as well he buys that in 1989 for about six hundred fifty thousand. but then he buys his other house in palm beach on six mm. six island drive for 2.5 million gets a discount gets it off uh, Mar- uh i think martha gottfried it, martha gottfried had also also been set originally selling jeffrey epstein's house at 358 el um, who knew? Uh, but eventually that would be sold by Sotheby's Realty in the same year, in 1990, a few months before Pottinger buys his house. Um, I think it's on the 22nd of, of July. So this is where it gets really strange because Pottinger, who goes on to be the defence for the Epstein victims, ends up basically being neighbours with Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, five people can believe meters, that. 500 metres. There's a Palm Beach is a really big place. 500 meters what is the chances of that i mean what is the chance the people the person that's directly in between line of sight the house that's directly in between uh jeffrey epstein's house and stanley pottinger's house is the person who eventually buys epstein's house demolishes it and rebuilds it Uh, so so i mean there's loads of coincidences there anyway but Palm Beach is a really long place to be 500 meters away, and the family grows up there. Uh, it's it's a family basic for quite a few years because I found um, them registered as being there as well. So um, as all the other members of the family, Pottinger family, being there. So obviously Palm Beach is extremely interesting. Puts him again a third point of a third connection with Jeffrey Epstein. At that point, my friends, you've got a conspiracy. I I don't see myself as getting enough. Evidence evidence about something until i've got like good free points where i can say okay it's it's 
got to be Tri triangulate fire is the same for information is that basically you can't you can't go wrong if you find three pieces of evidence and you they all point in the same direction there is a reason they're all pointing in the same direction and they're pointing a right in the same direction but yeah so in 1990 they they become neighbors and potting a by 1995 by that point he started writing uh by 1995 he publishes his first book then between 1995 and 2005 he'll publish another five i think or something like that slow burning last nazi uh the boss um, i mean the names of them i mean we yeah, go into no. this in detail in the series but the fourth procedure slow burning the final procedure the last nazi and the boss i think it's in those, that order and by the time he's finishing the boss well this is the point when jeffrey epstein's starting to be rumbled in palm beach he's connected con contacting david boyce who will eventually is that's apparently how you spell his, his say his name david voice well in 2005 uh on the 25th of february you've got um uh, a message on Jeffrey Epstein's notepad that says, give uh, David Bowie's uh, ring back at this number. So we know that David Boyce, Boyce, Bowie's, Bowie, uh, <laughs> we know that he was... Uh, oh, he, man! <laughs> yeah, we know that he was completely and utterly like linked up with Epstein before as well, but we don't know quite know how, but we also know he was really nefarious. Now, he would also be involved in this. He'd be linked with Pottinger in a way that when Brad Edwards eventually started representing Virginia Gouffray in 2014, Pottinger uh, was described by Edwards as Bowie's personal 007 so that was what Pottinger's role was this retired guy spy who would go around sorting out all of the things behind the scenes that David Boyce needed to do and uh, he was a very interesting character because Boyce um, first of all he was involved in the Drexen Burnham Lambert cleanup, which makes him very important. Uh, but he was also then involved in the, the case against Microsoft in the late 90s. It was very famous where they won. He was represented Al Gore with um, the Florida election results that led to Al Gore losing, of course, and George W. Bush taking power and then everything that happened afterwards. And then also represented Harvey Weinstein and Ferranos, uh, mm -hmm. the blood uh, sampling um, uh, con, which uh, he also joined the board at the same time. And on the board with him was um, Henry Kissinger. I mean, no one was on the board with scientific or technical of Ferranos. That's amazing. But he was involved in a lot. So he's centered to it. Um, but really what we look at uh, in the case is Bradley Edwards, Virginia Gouffray, like I say, in 2013, the FBI went to Australia, apparently, and interviewed Virginia Gouffray in the consulate over there. And um, and that led to Virginia Gouffray, Brad Edwards, say, lit a fire inside her. Uh, Brad Edwards said, lit a fire, and, and she came back to America to fight the case and to help with the, uh, the, the action against Jeffrey Epstein. And um, in returning that set off a load of uh, um, events straight away. And this is really suspicious. As soon as she had arrived and part of, um, Ed Brad Edwards describes this in his own book, Relentless Pursuit. He says, you know, Virginia comes back to America. Then the next, uh, that night I had a completely unexpected phone call and it was from Stan Pottinger and Stan Pottinger is like, hi, 
how are you? I'm Stan Pottinger. I know you get loads of crazy calls about this case, Jeffrey Epstein, but you know. And then eventually says, we want to work together. We don't want to reinvent the wheel and all of this. Unexpected, but he doesn't explain why he just, like Brad Edwards doesn't explain why he just let it go. It's unexpected, but instead Brad Edwards describes in his book how he's made more and more suspicious by Pottinger, that he believes Pottinger's CIA, that it's obvious that Pottinger's a spy, yeah. that Pottinger is, a, is Bowie's 007. The but still gets in bed with him. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then eventually says, and then I asked my, my co-workers, so should I form a, a, a firm with uh, Pottinger? And they all went, that would be a great match. And we all <laughs> lived happily ever after. Um, so so there was obviously something really uh, dodgy there. Um, and one of the, uh, the, the paragraphs in Bradley Edwards' book about when they're coming back from meeting Maria Farmer, they talk about basically Bradley Edwards talks, says to Pottinger, but are you CIA or not? He just calls him out on it. And Pottinger gives him this bump story and they both laugh. And he says, you know, I'm not sure if we were laughing because it's funny or whether it was true, you know, that he was actually CIA. But I, I think it's made very clear in Bradley Edwards' book that he believes Pottinger's CIA. No doubt at all he believes Pottinger's CIA. He yeah. still gets into business with him and it still goes the way it goes. And I mean, that book's bizarre because eventually he admits that he's been meeting for up to eight years. I think it's about eight years. Bradley Edwards was meeting um, Jeffrey Epstein in various cafes, but mainly at Starbucks in Boca Raton where they would have secret meetings and discuss the case. And he describes Epstein as phoning and being like, come on, Brad, come on. Let's see if we can sort out some of these cases. Cases, you know, we got it, and that they were in constant communication. So it's pretty clear that, like the first case against him, Jeffrey Epstein had co-opted nearly every single member of the legal yeah. team, mm. and and why and how that was done, who knows? And and uh, but it, it fits the same pattern as the first occasion, which is an intelligence setup to either to keep their assets safe or keep control of the information surrounding their asset by being in control of the case but for that the people involved in the case who are fighting and litigating against Epstein have to have some sort of reward or potential reward at the end of it so that they will go through with the action and yeah. Epstein right up until two weeks before his arrest doesn't seem to be thinking he's going to be arrested because the reason he ends up in prison and garroted is really not to do with the sex stuff at all it's to do with something else so like to just summarize like what does the uncovering of this information mean you know like how do we make sense of all of this and like also like what what do you think is going to happen next if you want a legit case if you want a case where the, the, it's rock solid and that you're not going to get any sort of like problems coming up it's not the Ghislaine Maxwell case because they've built that on a, a foundation which is rotten on purpose so my thought is and what i get by the evidence and what i keep coming across is that to protect their asset and give her the at least a sense that she's going to get out of trouble eventually very soon they've got to make it so that she can see that there's holes in the case and they know that it's eventually coming 
people would say, but why wouldn't they just kill her like they did with Jeffrey Epstein? But people don't know the Maxwell family then and don't understand that there's another four Maxwells who are extremely powerful in different ways, have their fingers in many pies, are lobbying for their sisters at every mm. angle, and are the ones who could really cause you masses of trouble. You can't just kill off Ghislaine. You'd have to kill off every single Maxwell because they could cause you lots of trouble. And then they have kids who will cause you lots of trouble because they're a dynasty. So don't forget, don't go against the Maxwells. They are historic mm. in the way they react to uh, people who threaten their family. So the reason why Epstein is dead or supposedly dead and Ghislaine Maxwell is alive is probably due to the fact that she is much better protected, not by information of uh, or, or videotapes of Bill Clinton buggering a schoolboy or whatnot. It's instead the fact that if anything happens to her, the others have so much intelligence connection, so much other stuff that either something else will happen to the people who've done that to her, mm. or the information will come out that may relate to something else, but would be really awkward and would cause a whole another set of events. Some of the, the other Maxwells have dead man switches, for sure, in uh, multiple of their projects that they've done before. They've been really involved with the deep state and they've been really involved with intelligence stuff. So Ghislaine Maxwell is all set up to fall apart. I think it's yeah. all set up to fall. It's okay. been made that way. Uh, I think it personally, I think it was made that way from the very beginning and they have to make it so that that can happen because otherwise people won't go along with it. But for that to happen, you have to undermine the case in multiple ways. One wouldn't be good enough. So one of the ways is rotten information and the other is rotten victims. A couple only takes a couple. It only takes a couple of people mm. in amongst yeah. real victims to completely undermine the case. Yeah, and right. as as I've explained within the article, I found one um, who uh, I, I I can say from my own experience and from the evidence I've shown, it was you could say was in business, was employed by Bowies and Pottinger before she filled out her affidavit. And that should say something about her from the off and her case from the off. The second thing I'd say is the assault that she claimed she had suffered from Maxwell and Epstein to get money from the case does not fit their criminal profile. One iota is so far away from their criminal profile that it breaks their criminal profile and does not make any sense. Her sister, I think, was assaulted by Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. So this is something I haven't said out loud. Maybe I should say Annie Farmer, I think, was when she was 15, 16, however old when she first met them, she was uh, assaulted. And I, I'm not saying this is better or anything. It's up to you to make that judgment. But she wasn't raped. She ran into a toilet head when she got touched and then she 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 went away then and it and and she she decided not to go back then but she was still still assaulted yeah yeah but i believe if this i remember the story right maria farmer then gets assaulted after weeks after says mm -hmm. claims that 
so it doesn't make any sense and then finds out later that Annie had been assaulted and claims that she went and told the FBI and the police or the FBI are unable to produce any report and have never commented on it um, and don't comment on it especially if you can't uh, prove something or you investigate someone and realise they're not completely who you think they are and you can't say it out in public because they're an intelligence asset of some type maybe they've yeah. had an affair with one of your biggest CIA guys for ages and ages for years and years and years yeah. and then they got involved in the case in some way shape or form that isn't correct and could cause the whole case to collapse so what about <laughs> everyone else involved such as pottinger himself and the uh victims in the case some of whom might not you know be who they say they are it's not the unnamed victims that i have issue with their credibility and it's not all of the named victims that i have issue with their credibility but if you need to run an operation where you co-opt all sides, you need to have the right people fronting up your operation. Mm -hmm. You need to have people you can control and you can trust. So what reasons? I think some of these, some of the people involved know they can make some money. Of course they can. Of course they do. Of course they've seen this. And they're right to think that. They're also, their case would not have come through successfully if they didn't have momentum or had holes in it and so if you re-establish the case with holes and lack of momentum uh, and more anger for people who say right now we've investigated these people a little bit closer some of them are lying and we're angry about that then all the case falls apart and everything is in trouble i think there's think this has been made to crumble and and here we go. He said, what led led me to this? Well, what led me to this was finding out a load of stuff about Maria Farmer, that she was um, in business with Stan Pottinger and other things that was registered at his home, which it made no sense at the time. And it was just after she had acted in a way which made her completely suspicious to me um, and was really hostile and was to promote a guy who had eight different identities um, and a load of convictions for fraud. So I was really suspicious, made suspicious. And that led me to investigate, that led me to Stan Pottinger, that led me to his history. So it's not like I went and looked and found nothing. I went and looked and found one of the biggest conspiracies anybody can ever describe laid out that is interwoven within American history and potentially changes American history itself. That is a big thing to find when you're going to, oh, that woman's suspicious. Her story doesn't make sense. She was in business with that person before. She's lied about being in hiding for 25 years. That's bull. There, She's out there in the open. What else is What else is there? Who's she with at the time? Oh, she's with this person. Who is that person? Oh, he's a devil. So at that point, you've got to realize that people who work, who have relationships with the devils, who can be with the devil, they're, they're, they're as bad as the devil themselves. There's and with the devil. And, and yeah, and what was Epstein? What was working for Epstein? It was dancing with the devil. Okay, this is a question that got to be asked. If you're over 18 and you groom and lure children for sex, knowing that they're going to be raped or they're going to be abused or molested, are you responsible? That's a simple question. I don't want anybody giving me nuance to that. Are you over 18? Did you lure children 
into a, a situation where they were going to be raped and molested by a billionaire without knowing the situation they were going into and you've lied to them are you responsible by law for your actions if you did then you should be in trouble you shouldn't be making millions and be seen as virtuous so we've got to establish that we've got to establish who's doing what for what why they're doing it and that can only be understood by saying something that doing something which seems it seems it's like against society it's against what we do nowadays which is examining a victim's statement it's as simple as that you can't just believe everybody stop being so fucking naive all the time people that this case is just riddled with people lying on all sides all of the time what really frustrates me about this one is that and one day this will all come out there are people on both sides, supporting both sides, who are trying to feed me with the same people, same disinformation, are doing exactly the same thing behind the scenes. They work on exactly the same side, but everybody outside sees them as opposite sides, and I see them doing the same thing and, and asking me to do this or asking me to do that or asking me not to look at here or to look over here, and it's the same people, exactly the same people, trying to feed me exactly the same disinformation on exactly the same side. In actual fact, the whole thing is is like flat it isn't as uh, two sides it's just everything everything mm -hmm. is together they're all on the same they're all in the same area they see a load of money above and they're all got on the train because they were narcissists in the first place and they're all grabbing at that there's a load of them this is no i'm not talking about victims i'm, I'm not talking about just the victim the supposed accusers who aren't actually victims there's a very small amount of them the majority of the victims will be victims you look the, the fucking the profile is so certain and concrete for Epstein and Maxwell, Epstein especially, who he targeted, it is concrete. You cannot get better than it. It it says he liked this, he liked it intently, and that's what he had. Anything that diverts from that, you've got a question, and there's a load of it. Okay, you've got Sarah Ransom. Sarah Ransom is saying out loud that she's she's going to release all of the tapes that she's got. So she's saying she's got tapes. She keeps saying them over and over again. I would say that she's saying that because she wants to protect herself from the fear of very rich men who she now knows are riddled all over the case, who are involved, who have talked to her, have been involved with her, and who she knows are extremely dangerous and you don't mess with. And she knows exactly how it ends. And they know she ain't got no tapes. Mm -hmm. That's the most important bit of it. Listen, if you've got evidence in a case, it shouldn't, uh, and it's that serious, and it's about sex with underage kids and stuff, shouldn't she be arrested and investigated for hiding that from the court? Yeah. You know, th th there's questions that come from the second stage of you people go, oh, look, she's got, she's saying this, she's got, okay, okay. So either she's lying and she doesn't have it, and if she's lying about that, what else is she lying about? Or she does have it and she's holding it from uh, from justice from being done. Either way, then now she has to be investigated fully. But they not investigate in the same way they didn't investigate with the first case. And they avoided doing it until well afterwards because they need to leave distance from the time it, a con is done to the time they reveal the con. Because 10 years, it's only 10 years need to pass because they always put the oldest guys in charge of it. Stanley Potting and what in his 80s, 83, 83, 84. So, okay. He's probably projected to be too old to try in the next 
three, four years at least. There's no way he's going to jail. There's no way Jay Stanley Potting is going to jail anyway. He get pardoned before that. They let that happen. So, but so, the story's you know, still out there. Yeah, mm. I, but they put they they put the old guys in charge, Bowie's and people like that, to take the fall. Edwards is the one who must be really crapping himself right now. And I think that explains why he said so much in Relentless Pursuit. And he tried to distance himself mm-hmm. from, from and and yeah. and uh, projected out this, oh, I didn't know what was going on over and over again. Because he knows exactly what was going on. He knew what was going on at the time. It was all about making profit. And this is the thing about that part of the Epstein case, is that the reason why the lawyers will be so motivated isn't necessarily that they all work for intelligence or stuff like this that can be true as well while they make loads of money from litigating an enormous amount of money that you have no idea of how much money and each one gets some more money so the more people they get and the more things that they can find that the other side can't even dare fight against because virtuously uh it's a a a killer in public arena you know you're, you're gonna get you're gonna get murdered for trying to fight against something no one can fight against them at the moment they're just running roughshod over everybody and eventually that is going to stop and it's going to stop all of a sudden and that is a point where i can't predict quite i think this is all part of a bigger thing this is all part of an epochal change this is all part of a new type of intelligence-led infrastructure being envisioned for the very near future for justice for policing and for other things that will allow these elites to get special permission and be completely off the radar soon and i think that that these things being implemented these guys know these things are being implemented no policies being put in and so know that there'll be loopholes to let them get away with all of the crimes that they commit now so even if they commit crimes now they know that in the future they'll be protected by the big guys upstairs because they're protecting themselves so the homogenous group they're part of will they need they need to protect that entire group and so you become part mm. of that you're on the party boat that's the party boat the homogenous group is the party boat, and, and you can't get off it and just to just to finish like speaking on a, like a much broader context because it seems like there's a lot of stuff coming out at the moment about child trafficking there was the the latest film sound of freedom that has come come out out, it's making a lot of waves like and i guess you're playing a part in this yourself Mm. putting this information out it's like when do you think this tidal wave is going to hit because it feels like we're really on the forefront of it being mainstream knowledge that child trafficking child slavery and even the torture and killing and organ harvesting and adrenochrome stuff is all about to hit the public consciousness. Epstein was possibly the tip of an iceberg, a very large iceberg. At at the same time as that, there's a drop-off happening in the trust for the mainstream media, which is why that is about to shatter and explode in front of people, because all of these uncomfortable truths have been stuff that we've kind of known for years and we've been able Mm. to put to the back of our mind or 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 it's so distant it seems so distant from us but eventually i think media is going to be fractured to such an extent that they will be able to find other ways to hide or obfuscate what they're doing by just playing off parts against each other this group of people who want to take advantage of children aren't rigid they change 
more fluidly than the people trying to catch them change mm. so it means they're really slippery snakes and really hard to get a handle on and i hope that there there is this idea that you know things like sound of uh, freedom and stuff will 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 propel on uh, human desire to stop child trafficking but honestly hum humans are really a lot of us are pathetic we do want to end it on a good things. note johnny yeah sorry we want to end it on a high thing. note i'm not talking necessarily <laughs> you guys just all the people listening <laughs> i mean no no, 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 no not the people listening we, we love no, all you lot no no i mean you guys let's yeah. leave it on a high note hey, hey, okay, that's okay. what i'm gunning for here yeah okay okay i tell you i tell you i'm going i'm getting to you i get i'll get to your high note eventually uh <laughs> once i've been kicked in the balls enough times well anyway so i have to say that yeah, I don't have much hope for there being much change in the current paradigm, but I see it having to shift and change. And eventually, I I, I don't have, okay, I don't have a, I, I'm not sure if I have a high note, because my point was, was that police and FBI and all of these type of things that are corrupt now, they're going to soon be taken over by private intelligence companies. And if you think that's corrupt now, you wait to see what we're going to get in the future. So there's going to be loopholes galore. And I... I what I see is them trying to it it's like there's a clash of two worlds and it's about a legal aspect behind pedophilia okay mm -hmm. there's coming to a point where the people who are doing this stuff knows that they're likely to be caught and that the technology will be good enough to stop things like that happening and to be some form of preventative measures they also know that because of the dystopia they themselves are creating that will exert pressure on everybody's freedom and the boundaries of where their freedom is which will allow them even more space to find out if you're guilty of something of whatever they want so these people have thought about this for a long time and again it's like the ultimatum posed to epstein if you don't do something now within policy eventually all of the stuff mm. you're doing now is going to be problem so what we see now is this clash of these two worlds the future world they want to make us think that we should have and that is one where sexuality is fluid people don't really have genders that the, we will all love is love everything love is love and we all know on the side on the people who are on the side of the sound of freedom or on the side of the understanding of child trafficking we all know where that type of loose rhetoric leads it leads to children being trafficked children being abused children being raped by what men dressed as men men dressed as women it don't make no difference they'll find any excuse those type of people sadistic preferential pedophiles will navigate your cultural norms and your cultural abnorms and they will get inside your child that's what they intend to do so there's no way around stopping that but what they're doing is incorporating it as part of normal society the rainbow mm -hmm. flag keeps getting bigger we keep approaching it we you know uh, in 1967 to 69 in britain there was loads of debate about this because uh, homosexuality became legal and then pi believed that they, they were going to be able to get like the peter Pile information exchange believed that they were going to be able to lobby for legalization of pedophilia of course it goes to make sense now it's not just about oh gay lesbian and straight and these pedophiles trying to jump on piggyback on the back now 
gay, lesbian, straight, transgender, queer, you see the flags. It's like colors are now representing sexuality and the colors, some of them don't have descriptions. You don't know what they're for. Mm. And some of the colors, you do know what they're for and they're really bad. So, so we're seeing the introduction of the ideology so that it can eventually change to get the next generation to change the law to make uh, sex with children legal. Mm. so that's what i see happening is instead of there being people opening up their eyes to um the systematic abuse and exploitation of children people will uh instead be slowly trained to accept that as a norm if you look far enough into the future and look at what's happening now they're on a, a hell-bent mission to actually legalize the type of behavior that we're exposing in the whole episode of this. And we we kind of touched on this before we actually even spoke to you. We we're mm. having a conversation where we were saying, God, it won't actually matter in the future if this stuff becomes the norm. Mm. And it makes you just realize it, it is a race against time. Mm. The only way to put a spanner in the works is literally to put a spanner in the it works, works. Put, put the brakes on here and stop this from becoming the inevitable this is the yeah. thing that they want i do see this one there's one thing that i, I want to say it's a really awkward thing when you talk oh, about please it, it sounds perfect yeah, to yeah, end yeah, on yeah yeah <laughs> you know how i like it <laughs> no but i i mean i i can i i meet loads of people i live in a, a, a proper community so where I live, I walk around and I talk with everybody and everybody knows me and they know they, they, they know if they need help, they come see me. And if I can't help them, someone else helps them. And there's all of that sort of stuff. And I know all of the adults and all of the kids and all of these. And when I see a lot of the youngsters around, you see multiple different kids who are in their teenage years and nearly every single one of them uh, like at risk of exploitation because they're at such a dangerous moment of their life. And when you're talking about it's a race against time, but time is so moving. It's moving. I mean, if you want to talk about something that's fluid, a race against time that just keeps going forward is just like, you know, we have to find some sort of equilibrium between it because at least in the area that I know, uh, I, I live, I talked with one woman the other day and we were talking about one girl who, who lives nearby and she's a lovely, she's such a kind-hearted girl. She goes around, wants to walk all the dogs and stuff like that. But she sees herself as an adult already. So she's out there trying to project herself she doesn't go to school anymore. COVID gave her the opportunity to say, I've got um, this other thing that's caused by COVID, uh, post-COVID something disorder, something like that. And so I, I think I've go got to that. school anymore. Yeah, I know. So, so everybody is kids who are 13, 14, who are desperate to become adults. And there's adults who are 40, 50, who are desperate to become children mentally psychologically that's the issue we've got 
is that we've got these like people who like if you want to talk about trans stuff like trying to make the idea that what you think has to be accepted by other people that leads only one way too and yeah, that leads to you age. saying mm. that yeah that 13 year old who acts like a 40 year old is 40 which it isn't true and I was mm. talking to this lady and we both know this girl and we I, we were talking about how, how much of a like how much of a nice girl she goes around trying to help and she was like yeah but she's so obviously vulnerable and exploitable i mean it's it's pretty clear that she's got like like she, she is at risk she's walking around trying to be an adult and mm. there's loads of that and there's loads of people like the, the, what what people then do, what these kids obviously don't realize is that the adults above will then convince them of whatever they want them to believe to lure them into a situation where they feel just that they can trust one person and it doesn't mean there has to be a lot of people to do that that girl has to just meet one or two people who yeah. are likely to do that who can recognize it and see it and then who also want to act on it so so i think there's a clash with the way kids are growing up and how they're being uh given like loads of information and loads of shows and loads of uh, this is another thing i will say very quickly i used to go when i was 13 14 and 15 uh, we used to go down to buy cigarettes we used to go down to the local university the psychology department and we'd pick up one of the phone numbers that they had on the wall and we'd phone them and we'd go and do a trial where we'd sit there and they'd like put up a picture and it'd be a flashing picture and then you'd you'd like press a button when you see a certain image or something like that and they were running trials and tests and it was a way like it was simple psychological experiments it was a way for us to get cigarette money so me and my mates used to all go down and we used to do that and what I I remember of it is a lot like what TikTok is now or YouTube shorts where you're just flicking through and you're seeing all these images and it's installing something in your mind. It's giving you something. It's making you think a certain way over and over again. And when you start to really look from an outside perspective of what they're showing you, most of the time nowadays, they're showing you either violence or the sexualization of children. So we're heading down a route we're going down there and the kids are getting this same information at a very early age. So the kid I'm talking about, who's like the one of the loveliest girls around, she is thinking that she's an adult. She is led to think that she's an adult. She's led to, to think that she can be beautiful and all of these different things that are obscure and abstract thoughts once you realize what the consequences of walking that route lead to. So, that's what I think people would term as part of the sexualization of children nowadays. And it's industrial. So it's happening at two ends. They're trying to change our minds and they're trying to change mm. their minds. When yeah. you say it's a race against time, it's a race against time, but time is moving, moving in different directions. Everything is going awry. I don't think we're necessarily going to win this race. And that might be what the war of the future is about. And here's a really uncomfortable and horrible question. We know the people who are in power, they're the most likely people to come out on top. So will one day in 50 years time, will they look back and will they say the age rights movement, the mm. sexual age rights movement? Oh, yeah. that, remember when we fought that and, and we fought so yeah. that 12 year olds could have relationships with 60 yeah. year olds? Because you know? let's face it, at the moment, children are even being given in some places like California 
the freedom, let's say, I think that's the wrong thing to to call it, but to have double uh, mastectomies and chop their bits off and all the rest of it before they're even legally allowed to smoke, drive, or drive or drink, drink or get a tattoo. So out of control. They're out already control. being given these rights where you think, well, in a sense, that's even more extreme than them agreeing to consensual sex with an adult if they're underage. Precisely. Blurring lines, blurring lines, blurring yeah. lines. We're okay. seeing it all so, the time. So, so so here's a happy note. Here's a happy note. I know loads of people that see the point of keeping uh, age of consent at the ages they are now and maybe even uh, reaffirming or being nuanced within saying like, you know, maybe that if an 18 year old has sex with a 16 year old or something, you know, that, that that's not necessarily like the same thing, you know, to have it like the slight. Yeah. But still, we have to we have to draw the line an mm. age of consent what we choose is the drawing of the line now this makes me it's made me uncomfortable over the years because i was really happy to live in britain when i was younger because i was like hey i'm 16 i can now do whatever i like all over the place and and i can meet a partner and we go blah, 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 blah. but that's not true is it there's loads of different laws that and if i was in america that'd be seen as completely illegal mm. and horrible and to be honest if i look back when i was 16 17 i knew nothing so i start to, to start to think that well maybe the law should be 18 maybe we should stop fucking about and stop blurring the lines and that's part of the blurring so if we're blurring lines we got eventually come back and work out how where the line is and what yeah. is blur and then just get rid of the blur not get rid of the line which is what they're mm. doing what they yeah. want to do is change the line and what i think most of us want to do is get rid of the blur and remember where the line is because that line is a line of decency a line of ethics a, mor a line of morals a line that uh, states that the majority of people who cross that line are old enough to make their own decisions so legally we can understand who does what so i think the there can be nuance in the law but at the end of the day that nuance only causes is blurriness and that blurriness doesn't allow you to then well allows them to then bend the lines until mm. they get what they want and what they want is to have sex with children it's as simple as it is well that was our talk with johnny vedmore fantastic if you want to hear more of that please head over to our rumble channel where we currently have three videos up the pottinger identity supremacy and ultimatum where we take a real deep dive into all of the source material and really take this case apart. So if that's of interest to you, head over to Rumble now, type in The Schism, and our channel should pop right up. In the meantime, stay tuned to this channel for a, another podcast episode coming very soon. I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Schism. We've got plenty more episodes on the way. In the meantime, follow us on our Instagram at schism.tv and keep watching the skies. Mm -hmm.